2: Welcome to the show, a new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR, that's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car today, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend, especially yesterday in church. We did here at Calvary Chapel. And uh, yesterday, as we told you last week, was our annual Christmas dinner. Uh, what a blast it was. We had uh, I was told we served uh, 1,650 plus people and uh it was just really, really nice time. You know when you have a small facility and everybody has to come different services, it's the one time a year that that people can get together and uh, people have been coming to church for many years and never run each run into each other because of the different services they go to uh It's an opportunity for people just to sort of reconnect. It was really, really a great time, lots of good food, lots of great people. And uh, one of the things that we really love about Christmas. So that was yesterday. Um, Thank you all for your prayers. Uh, Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, we've got our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock, as we always do. And uh, you are welcome, ladies. You can watch at calvarysa.com. But uh, it's always better if you can be here in person just because of the Q&A sessions that come afterward. And a lot of ministry goes on that does not get on uh, the live stream, so you are invited to come, and because it's junior high, high school men, and women, uh, you can pretty much make it a family thing, and we also have child care available for the younger ones. so uh, bring your family and enjoy. Well, let's get to questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Our first question. Um, this one is from Matthew from our email inbox. I actually got this Friday and didn't have time. Uh, to, um, answer it. Matthew says, it's that wonderful time of year when we get to sing Christmas worship songs in church. I love it. Matthew, I do too. Yesterday we had, uh, um, of our four worship songs, two of them were Christmas songs and it's really good. And, uh, you know, I don't even feel like it's Christmas until, uh, the group sings Oh Holy Night and boy, did they kill it yesterday. And, uh, I loved it. So uh, I'm with you. He continues, at a church I recently visited, however, we sang Mary, Did You Know, in a service. It's a beautiful song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. But listening and singing songs for fun or because I like them, I feel that's more than a little different than intended worship to God. And it just really threw me off to be in a church singing to Mary. I understand I wasn't worshiping Mary, but I'm supposed to be worshiping Jesus, and singing songs about him. And I'm singing a song where it feels like I'm talking to Mary, asking her if she knows about her son. Which, yes, I suppose the song still brings glory to Jesus because ultimately it's about him. But I still felt like I was singing to Mary, like if I was praying to Mary about Jesus. I don't know. It just didn't feel right. Again, it's a great song. I love it so much. But I love lots of Christmas songs. doesn't mean I would sing them in worship to God. Am I overthinking this? Am I being silly? I'm just trying to be honest. Uh, he says, maybe it's just my Catholic background, and I'm sensitive to that, so please let me know your thoughts. Pastor, God bless. Matthew, I think maybe you are overthinking a little bit. I wouldn't think you say you're being silly at all, but um, we, we sing that song here occasionally. Um, I can't remember the last time we did. I think it was Friday night, maybe um um it was sung in and and it 's really a song about jesus it 's not singing to mary it 's just the creative license that a songwriter has to express his views about god um there, there's some lines in that song that just absolutely floor me matthew um Mary, did you know that the the baby you delivered would would one day deliver you um, that 's a stunning stunning line to me um and i I just I, I, I like the song. I also think it's a beautiful song, but it's really not at all directed to Mary. It's just uh, an artistic way of of um, talking in depth about the ministry, the scope of Jesus' ministry, and I think it's very honoring and very worshipful. Um, He just sort of is is singing in a third-person perspective. And um, I don't think there's anything at all wrong with it. And God knows your heart. God knows your heart. So uh, I I don't see it the same way you do, but that's why God made people different. So Matthew, I hope that answers your question. Uh, If you enjoy the song and your heart is to worship the Lord, believe me, he's thrilled that you're worshiping. So I hope that answers your question. Thanks very, very much. Here's an email from Nathan. Hi, Pastor Ron. Have you spoken about the Brittany Griner situation on the radio station? What are your thoughts of her coming home after getting swapped for a convicted Russian arms dealer and possibly responsible for murder? Uh, People believe she deserves to stay in prison for uh, for for conviction on drugs. And the Paul Whelan, an accused American spy, um, there's been no truth behind his accusations. He received 16 years. To sum it up, Greiner received 10 years in Russian prison for drugs, which he had, and Whelan received 16 years for a baseless conviction of espionage. But yet, Greiner gets to come home. What I'm asking, if family, coworkers, and friends speak about this issue and ask as ask us Christians about our opinion, how should we respond as a Christian without passing judgment and expressing? Love, um, Nathan. Uh, I, I did address this question Friday. I think it was on the program. Somebody uh, sent one in w- when the news was was coming up, and um, I, I think I love the fact that you asked how do how should we as Christians respond? Um, you know, this this to us is not a political issue. We're not the negotiators. We're not the ones who. Um, are, are behind the scenes pulling the strings um all of us as christians we should have been praying for britney griner she was grievously overcharged uh she was guilty she admitted she was guilty um this is a, a, a young woman who lives a lifestyle that is in opposition to god this is a young woman who has expressed uh disdain for the country that she lives in the country now that i'm certain she's happy to be in But I think our perspective as Christians has to be separated from the political. As a Christian, if she was your daughter, you would want this country to move heaven and earth in order to get her home. We should be thrilled that she's home. Now, it doesn't really have anything to do with the other person. And whenever I see a question like this, um, Nathan... Um, You know, I I hear right-wing media. Now, I'm a conservative man, okay? Um, But, you know, the news, right and left, has been politicizing this issue from the very beginning. I think as Christians, we need to sit back and thank God you were merciful to this girl. And we can pray for Paul Whelan as well. Lord, deliver him. Uh, but but hey, this is political negotiations, and um, you know there's sometimes we just have to sit back and say, Lord, you've answered a lot of people's prayers. Now go save this young girl, this young woman. Save her. But we really need to be happy, and I think that's the Christian response. Um, and I would ask anybody who was complaining about it, uh, if she were your daughter, would you want her home? Do you think she deserved 10 years? Regardless of what anybody else is there doing, do you think she deserved 10 years of hard labor in a prison in Russia for her crime? And and the response would be no. Well, then why aren't we happy that she's home? And we really, really need to stay out of the political fray. This is simply one of those things where we can thank God that an American citizen, a young woman, Uh, who lives in opposition to God, uh, has been released, and now maybe, who knows, with our prayers, maybe she'll be grateful. Now, she may be completely the opposite, but she's home, and we need to be pleased about that and stay out of the political arguments, right or left. So, as a Christian, Nathan, I simply don't think there's any other emotion that we should show other than gratitude and, um, again, if our children were in that situation, uh, we would want them to do anything and everything to bring our kids home. And that's what he did with Brittany Griner. And so I think we had to leave it at that. I think that's the way to express love. I think, well, you know, I'm glad she's home, but is not an expression of love at all. So, Nathan, I hope that answers your question. And I spent a little bit more time on that on Friday. Uh, You can go into the archive and listen to that program if you are interested. Here is a question from Candace. She says, many of my church friends are deconstructing their faith. What does that mean and is it a good or bad thing to do? Um, Candace, all that means, and this is frustrating to me, um, all that means is they're trying to find a way to sin without feeling guilty. Everybody wants to go to heaven. And so they're reevaluating their faith. Well, I can still have sex and be a Christian because, well, the Jesus that I'm reforming in my own mind by throwing out the Bible, that's what deconstruction is, Candace. It's throwing out the Bible. Uh, well, 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 my Jesus has a different worldview. My Jesus loves everybody. So if people from the same gender want to marry or if a man wants to become a woman or a woman wants to become a man, Jesus loves them, and he would accept them like that. That's simply throwing away the Word of God. And what they're doing is deconstructing a faith that they never embrace. Now, they may have grown up in church, but the minute they get a little freedom and they get introduced to sin, what they start doing is rationalizing why what they're doing is okay with God. And we run into this all the time. And Candace, whether it's somebody who's outwardly deconstructing their faith, and by the way, this is a a very recent phenomena, uh, uh an Internet phenomenon. Well, we're just going back, stripping it down. No Bible, just Jesus. But the problem is we make Jesus who we want him to be instead of accepting him for who he is. So this is a horrible thing to do. And it demonstrates that these people, your church friends, really never had a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't change who he is. We're made in his image. We can't make him or remake him in our image. And that's what people are doing, Candace, when they're deconstructing their faith. They're simply taking the parts of the Bible out they don't like, and they're saying, well, Jesus would love this or Jesus would be okay with this. In the process, um, even the parts of the Bible they claim are okay, they don't understand. So this is just men and women, mostly young, not always, but mostly young people, who are simply rationalizing the sinful choices they want to make and deciding that it's okay with God because, after all, God wants them to be happy. And the reality is a lot of Christians have been doing this without understanding what deconstructing their faith meant all along because there's just lots of Bible passages that we pay no attention to at all. That's deconstructing our faith. But remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. He didn't say you'll obey the parts that you agree with. You've, you, If you love me, you'll obey me. And we've got to decide, Candace, Uh, if this is the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude declares it to be, or whether or not it's a faith that keeps evolving and changing, which is really no faith at all. If God changes, then we're all lost. We're all lost. You know, it was Jesus, Candace, who spoke about hell more than any other Bible writer or any other personality in the Bible. Jesus didn't actually write it himself, but think about that, and if you're deconstructing, your faith, well, I can't believe in a loving God who would send people to hell, so I just, I'm going to throw that part out, it's the Bible, Candace, the Bible is the only place, I had the opportunity to talk about this a little bit in my message yesterday, uh, it's the Bible, um, in the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, that's what the Bible is. And if we throw it out, then we have really nothing of substance to hold on to. So Candace, pray for them. Let them know that they're being dishonest. Let them know that if they can change God, obviously he's not God. And pray for them. Just pray for them. It's amazing how sheep-like we all are. You know, we'll just decide. We'll read an article on the Internet. Somebody makes an emotional statement that, we agree with, and then we'll start treating as fact the things that that author said. And then we start re-examining our faith, and it makes us feel better. I've got a a very, very casual friend uh, who was a pastor at one time um, who has decided that his animals, his cat owners, animals go to heaven. He's decided that because it hurts his heart, that there can't really be eternal torment for anybody, even though Jesus said it, uh, that there was. That's just metaphor, and, and it's really not that way. He's decided all these things based on how what's written in the Bible makes him feel. And what that does, Candace, is makes all of his appeals to the Bible meaningless because if his emotions don't like something, he'll change that as well. So it's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. There's no other place to find out really who Jesus is. And if we're going to worship him, if we're going to follow him, if we want to spend forever with him, we've got to realize that he is a holy God. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Joni. She says, what are the mysteries of God referred to in Ephesians chapter 3? Um, Johnny, let me just talk about the, the the mysteries that were revealed by the Apostle Paul. Um, Mysteries—the uh, Greek word is mysterion. It means something that has never been disclosed before. Now, in 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 the Old Testament, there were hints of these things, but but the mysteries of God revealed to Paul, and then given to us, we we're the beneficiaries of these mysteries. Well, Paul. Revealed several of them. One is uh, from Ephesians chapter two: Jew and Gentile becoming one in the church. Uh, that's a radical, radical statement in the ancient world, especially Jews who hated Gentiles and Gentiles who've always hated Jews. And and Paul says that the mystery of of Jew and Gentile coming together as one body. It's an amazing concept. And yet that's exactly what the church did and it began on the day of Pentecost. There's the mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. Think about this. No Old Testament figure could ever have imagined that God would be in us on a human level. Remember, they couldn't approach God. The New Testament says he lives in unapproachable light, yet because he now lives in us and our body then becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit then the mystery of Christ in us the hope of glory Ephesians 1 says that the holy spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance so that's another mystery another mystery that was revealed to apostle paul was the mystery of the rapture listen i tell you a mystery first corinthians 15 we will not all sleep or die, but we will all be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. And he talks about us being caught up in the air t- together with him. That's a mystery that was preserved for the last days. The last days, by definition, that time between Jesus' ascension um, into the heavens after his crucifixion and resurrection and the, and the time until he returns. So the mysteries of God are things that were Spoken about vaguely, hints given, but with no detail, and the Apostle Paul got the detail. I often wonder, and Joni, we're not given any clear direction on this, but I often wonder, um, if those mysteries were given to the Apostle Paul during that three years in the Arabian wilderness where Jesus was teaching him or whether there were mysteries that were given, we know that he was caught up into the third heaven and, and, and saw inexpressible things, things that man's not permitted to tell. Maybe maybe he received those mysteries or some of those mysteries then. Uh, maybe it was just in those times when Jesus appeared to him in in Corinth when Paul was about to give up. Stay tight, Paul. Hang in there, Paul. I have many people in this city. Don't be afraid. And um, whenever it was, Joni, those mysteries were revealed to Paul by Jesus himself. Pretty heavy stuff when you think about it. Here is an anonymous question. Um, This person says, I struggle with sin. I hate it. And sincerely repent when I commit it, but I keep committing it. Will God forgive me? Um, anonymous, God knows your heart. Now, here's the thing: I think God would ask you to hate your sin before you commit it. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that you use the word struggle. I struggle with that means you're 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 trying to resist, or at least from your perspective, you're trying to resist. But how long do we struggle with something before we overcome it? How long do we make excuses that I don't have to do this thing? I can tell you anything that I struggle with, when I'm struggling with it, I know Jesus is here saying, don't go there, don't go there. And in order to sin, frankly, what we have to do is we got to say, okay, Lord, I love you, thanks for dying for me, but now you've got to leave the room for a while because what I'm going to do is is sin and you know you can't be here. Um, at some point, we've got to overcome. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 promises you that you don't have to commit the sin. So Anonymous, I would say, now I'm not your pastor, but I would say, if you were sitting with me in a counseling session, I would say, well, well what makes you think you hate it? I just had the flu. I hated the flu. I don't want it again. But when temptation comes, do you hate it enough to say, Lord, I'm not going there? Do you hate it enough when the temptation begins to pick up your Bible and begin reading? Do you hate it enough to go take a walk and pray instead of giving in to sin? First Corinthians 10.13 says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. It doesn't say you're faithful. It says God is faithful. When you are tempted, he will provide a way out. So the the truth is, we don't have to commit the sin. We don't have to give in. What we have to do is say no. So to the spirit rather than the flesh. And if we'll understand that, and if we have faith to believe what God has promised us in his word, sin shall no longer have control over you, well, then you can say no. And believe me, saying no is a lot more glorious than giving in and then later saying, oh, God, I'm so sorry I did it again and again and again. The truth is God wants to forgive you. He's forgiven you. Clearly, you're a believer. But you got to be honest and ask, how long are you going to struggle with the same thing? Do you want to still be struggling with it a year from now or two years from now? Well, until you learn to hate your sin so much that you're simply going to have victory over it, then you don't hate it enough. Romans chapter 7, I would ask you to read it and to read into Romans 8 because that's the victory over sin. Even the Apostle Paul said, uh, he called himself a wretched man who can rescue me or deliver me from this body of death? And the reason he said that was he said, because what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Now, I I, I think, and I'm reading between the lines here, but I think the Apostle Paul's struggle was with anger and pride. We know from Second Corinthians 12 that pride was one of his issues. And, he, and every time he'd give in, he'd say, oh, I just hate it that thorn in the flesh would sort of flare up And he would remember that was God's way of telling him, Paul, too much is given, much more is required. Don't give in to this. Well, the same thing, Anonymous, can be true with you. Whatever your sin is, beat it. Wrestle with it. Surrender the flesh to the power of the Spirit. And you no longer have to give in. And what I wanted to do with this answer is remove any excuse that you have for continuing in the sin. God will forgive you, but you've got to stop sinning. That's the way to demonstrate you love Jesus. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. It's Monday. We'd love your calls. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: The word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show. The phones have been quiet. Remember, you guys are way more interesting than I am, so we'd love your calls. Here's a question from Jamie. She says, I know God knits us together in the womb, so how can we still be born with the sin nature? Wow, because we live in a cursed world, Jamie. The idea that God knits us together in the womb doesn't suggest that we're immune from the sin nature. Um, Jesus said in John chapter 3 that we're born condemned already. So that's just the way it is. It's not like God was doing a little surgery in the womb of our mother and knitting us together and made a mistake. It's just the sin nature is inherited. It's inherited from our parents and their parents and their parents before him. And, all the way back to Adam who is our federal head and and through whom the sin nature was passed to the human race so um knitting us together in the womb simply means he knew us he was responsible for creation and i don't mean that directly like he was with adam but through the process uh of multiplication and and fertilization that that uh, that we know is true um So life begins at conception is what that's telling us. That's another reason that we shouldn't kill babies in the womb. Um, But yes, we're born with sin nature because that's the, the curse of the fallen world that we live in. Gratefully, Jamie, we've been redeemed from the curse by faith in Jesus Christ. So people that die apart from Christ and end up spending eternity in hell, have no one to blame but themselves. God rescued the human race. As Adam was our federal head in sin, Jesus is our federal head in salvation. And all we have to do is receive the gift of life that he's given us. And we do that because of grace, by faith or through faith. And if we refuse his offer, then we literally walk over his dead and risen body and spend eternity in torment. It breaks God's heart. Judgment is not something he wants to do. So um, that's why we have sin nature, and we will until our bodies are redeemed and we receive our glorified, resurrected bodies. The Apostle John says that when that happens, we will be like he is. That's something to think about. Here's a cynical question. This one is from Scott. He says, uh, and and this clearly is not the Scott who calls the program from time to time because Scott knows better than this. He says, why should people go to church when the people in church are as bad as people who don't go to church? Well, Scott, you answered your own question because you're a bad person. You're a sinner and you should go to church and at least the people who are sinners who are going to church understand that they need help. You know, hospitals... Um, uh, have sick people in them. Churches have sick people in them. It's just a different sickness. So the reason you should go to church is because they're going to tell you there about Jesus who is the only one who can answer or has an answer, rather, for your sins. And that's why you should go to church. You know, I love the fact people say to me, well, church is full of hypocrites. I can tell them, come on in, you fit right in. The reality is we're not pretending to be better than other people. We come to church because we know that's where Jesus is. That's where the forgiveness of sins is. That's where we learn who he is. That's where we go to use the gifts that God has given us to serve other people. I said, Scott, if you're looking for a church with no hypocrites, you need to start your own church and, and put a sign on the door that says, Keep out. Because the minute you start inviting people in, you're going to get some bad people. And then they would be right at home with you. There's no none good, not even one, no one who seeks God, the Bible says. So if you think about the church as a hospital for people who are spiritually sick, then it makes sense that church is filled with sinners. And this is where sinners ought to be. Just like you go to a doctor when you're sick. Well, spiritually speaking, we go to a church. And believe me, the church is a lot better at diagnosing the problems than doctors are. So, Scott, stop looking out and start looking in. You're listening to a Christian radio program. Clearly, the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart. So, just remember this. God loves you and he proved it. He sent his only son to die for your sins. And he did it because he considered you, Scott, so valuable that he would sacrifice his only son just to give you an opportunity to go to heaven and spend forever with him, which is exactly what he wants to do. People say, you really believe that? Well, there's an empty tomb that screams that Jesus is who he said he was, and he said he was the son of God and God the son. He said he was the only way to heaven, and Scott Church would be a place where you could find out all about who this Jesus is. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Toll free, 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Joe. If someone says they're a Christian, but later left a marriage to marry someone of the same gender, are they saved? Joe, the answer to that question is no, clearly. Um, you know, they, they lots of people that sin say they're Christians, um, but a Christian is proven not by what they say, but what they do, how we live our lives. That's really an important thing to understand. If everybody said they were a Christian, was well, virtually everybody, Joe, would go to heaven. So when somebody deliberately opposes God. God says do this or don't do this and they do just the opposite. How can they claim to belong to Jesus Christ? And then if they live a lifestyle, I know some people who are described perfectly by this question. They live a lifestyle. The Bible says in two places in the New Testament if they live like this they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's a very clear biblical answer and it's not one that's open for dispute opinions don't matter what we want or what we think or what our preferences might be mean absolutely nothing again Jesus said if you love me you will obey me and you're only a Christian if you love Jesus so the answer is they're not saved Now people say so so you saying they lost their salvation no I'm saying they never really had it. because a Christian a real believer could not do this you know they might have a a, a a brief time in their life where they make terrible mistakes but real Christians come back and say I'm sorry you know just thinking about this i was listening to um uh, a, a statement that was made by a an ex navy seal who has been very active in transitioning to female um you may have seen him many many times and and uh, he was at the forefront, kind of the darling of the media to prove that, that uh, um, uh, men can be women and, and, and still be tough. And, um, you know, he used to threaten, uh, anybody who wants to talk to me about whether or not I'm really a woman, well, then let's fight and I'll show them who I am kind of thing. Uh, well, now his life has been utterly destroyed. He's had reassignment surgery, bottom surgery. And now he's in public, at least to his credit, he is in public talking about how his life has been ruined. How he sort of got caught up in a tidal wave of emotion and attention. And it just all of this happened to him, uh, really sort of a a surreal experience. And and now, um, um, a couple of years, I think three years later, uh, he said, My life is ruined. I'm destroyed. And we're seeing that over and over and over. We're seeing young people who have had reassignment surgery and now their life is an absolute disaster and they are without hope. And at least they're owning their responsibility, the accountability for making decisions. But nobody talked to them about the regret that they're experiencing. Nobody talked to them about the permanence of these things. You know, we make a lot of dumb decisions when we're young. This Navy SEAL was a grown man and made horrible decisions. But nobody knows how to deal with them now. Good thing Jesus loves them all, isn't it? So Joe, that's the answer to your question and a little extra, my editorial. Here's a question from Peter. I'm aware that Christians should not sue other Christians. But what do you do if you're wronged by a believer? Is there no recourse? Peter, this is a really hard question because you're going to have to bite your lip and your tongue and just say no. Paul said you're defeated already if you take a believer to church in front of, un- or to, to court rather, in front of, uh, of unbelievers. He says, Is there no one in the church that, 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 that can settle this? And then he says, Why wouldn't you rather be wronged? than to bring this disgrace for the name of Christ. So here's what you ought to do. Pray for the one who wronged you. Pray for him or her uh, continually. Um, But also simply say, Lord, I don't want to be angry about this. This is a sacrifice of praise. I will not give that to the Lord, which costs nothing. Jesus, I'd rather bring you honor. I'd rather be obedient than be compensated. So what do you do if you're wronged by a believer? You pray for him, you suffer the loss, and even as I say that, you're honoring God and yet your flesh hates every bit of it. I can almost hear people turning off the radios now, you know, it's like, Well, you can't just be wrong, you've got to stand up for your rights. No, as Christians it's our job to let Jesus stand up for our rights. Will it make you angry? Yes. But that's just another burden. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All you have to do, all you have to do is say, Jesus, you handle this. I don't want this to get in the way of the work you want to do in my life. You know, Peter, as difficult as that counsel is, and as many people who hate that counsel when I give it, uh, imagine what Jesus experienced when he was Telling Jews in the Sermon on the Mount to turn the other cheek. Someone asks you to carry their cloak a mile, then go too. Imagine what it was like for them to hear it and how Jesus was ridiculed for that. To love your enemy. What do you mean, love my enemy? Nobody can love their enemy. Jesus says we can love our enemies. All we have to do is use his heart. Jennifer in San Antonio says, what are your thoughts on Steve Gregg and his radio show, The Narrow Path? Jennifer, I'm sorry. I don't really know um, Steve Gregg or his radio show. Uh, I like the name of it, The Narrow Path. That's what Jesus said the road to heaven was all about. But if you will give me just a a, a one-day reprieve, I'll look it up a little bit and maybe listen to a little bit of his stuff and give you a a better idea Jennifer so um, sorry I don't have it at the tip of my tongue but he is not one of the people that I am familiar with at all and I don't want to say anything um, w- without some kind of knowledge and information so I'll try to get that to tomorrow my producers writing it down now so I'll remember it and we'll check it out for you Jennifer thank you for asking here's a question from Marilyn She asks, in places where being a Christian is illegal, are Christians violating Romans 13 if they meet in defiance of the law? Now, Marilyn, I don't know if you're talking about um, the, the pandemic when churches were supposed to be closed or on a broader sense. But here's the thing that we have to do and we'll see this in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 4 when the the authorities uh, over Peter and John and the others tell them they can no longer preach in the name of Jesus Christ and Peter says to them, look, you have to decide what's right for us to do. Should we obey you or should we obey God? And obviously that's a, a, a question with only one answer. We have to obey God. So uh, if if Christians are meeting and the government says not to, then it's our responsibility to say no to the government and yes to Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Uh, and and you're not violating Romans 13. What you're doing is you're being obedient to a, a much higher law, a law that supersedes any human law. Now, there's other laws. Uh, you know, in, in um, um, our nation, there are a lot of things that are legal, uh, marrying people of the same sex, uh, having uh, transition surgery, sexual transition surgeries, um, um, smoking dope uh, those kind of things. Uh, I know a lot of people that claim to be Christians say, "Well, well, these things are legal, so it 's okay for me to do them no it 's really not there 's a higher law and um, one of the things that Christians are commanded to do, we're not to forsake together or the assembling together of the saints, and so we're to meet. God knows we need it, especially in difficult times like the pandemic. We need to be a light to the rest of the world. We need to demonstrate that we're not afraid. We're not letting fear run our lives or change who we are. It means that if we're afraid, we still be obedient. And in so doing, Paul says it were the aroma of death to those who oppose God and the aroma of life to those who will accept him. And so that's what we're supposed to do. So, uh, no, Christians uh, are meeting, whether it's in China and they're violating the law or in an Islamic country. um, The fellowship of the saints is really important. In our Bible study yesterday, Marilyn, um, we learned about... Uh, God's model for church, regardless of when and where you live, um, God's model for the church was was to um, hold fast to the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship of believers. We need one another. This is the way God works. This is where he, we can use the gifts that he's given us to be a blessing to others, uh, to, to, to prayer, to worship. Um, so these are things that we we are commanded by the Word of God to do, and uh, tragically, uh, and again, I don't know whether your question is specifically related to the pandemic or not, Marilyn. Um, but um, uh, churches deserted the people that God had given them stewardship over during the pandemic. Now we all did it at the beginning; the the the, the disease was um, an unknown. And and we were being scared to death. Millions of people are going to die. It simply didn't turn out that way. Um, and yet, the churches that closed their doors are churches that deserted the very people that God has given them stewardship over. And uh, we were closed uh, for for nine weeks. I think nine Sundays we missed. And then our governor uh, boldly and wonderfully said that uh, churches can meet. And and we got right back to it. We've been meeting without skipping a beat ever since. Um, And we're better for it. Um, We have so many new people coming, um, a lot of those new people, because uh, they ran into Bible teaching for the very first time. When their churches closed the door, they kind of got outside and found out there's there's something better. So, Marilyn, no, there's no violation of Romans 13 in that situation. I have a friend, he's a, he's a casual friend, a pastor in San Jose, California, uh, who um, continued to meet in defiance of a draconian um, California environment. Um, and, and they assessed fines uh, in excess of, I think, over $2 million dollars um, for his church, and of course, nobody could pay that kind of a fine. He, they certainly couldn't, uh, and they actually beat them in court, and and the city and the county settled with them, um, and it all turned out well. God's pretty good at standing for those who stand up with Him. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We still have some time for some phone calls. Here's a question from Charlie. How would someone deal with the fact that unbelieving loved ones are in hell being tormented? How can heaven be a happy place? Charlie, that is one of the hardest questions because we live in in time and space constraints, and and obviously, uh, especially somebody that we care deeply about, and they died, I have a mother who I don't know. Is in heaven or not. And, and it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But remember, heaven is a whole new order of things. And there will be, we know the Bible says, no pain, no sorrow. There will be no tears. So the only thing, at least from a human perspective, I can imagine is that uh, we will understand uh, nothing. Um, I, I call it a brain swipe. God gives a brain swipe uh, because he won't allow anything to prevent utter bliss, utter happiness in heaven forever and ever and ever. Now, that's my hopeful side. On the other hand, it may just be, Charlie, that when we stand before the Lord and we see how fair he is, how just he is, that we can't hold him responsible for the rejection by people, even people that we love. And so I don't know Exactly how it's going to happen, I just know that there won't be any tears or any sorrow, and heaven will indeed be a happy place. I think it is more instructive for us to think about that now. And while we have the opportunity to tell the people that we really care about about Jesus, you know, it's amazing to me, Charlie, that we all have people in our lives that we care deeply about who aren't believers, We know what their ultimate destiny is going to be and we don't talk to them about it. How could we let somebody that we really love go to hell without putting up a fight? And I'm not talking about fighting with them or arguing, but just letting them know. And I mean literally every time you see someone who you care about that's not going to heaven, you need to tell them, man, Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for you. He wants to deliver you but you've got to open your heart and let him. And, you know, you got to get to the point, or at least we should, all of us, get to the point uh, where we can um, look at somebody and say, look, if you go to hell, it's not my fault. It's on you. I did everything I could to tell you. So, hope that answers your question. Three, four, zero. Well, we don't have time now, so let me have a question that came in. Um, Next one over. This is from our mobile app, Anonymous. You just told Peter to allow himself to be wronged instead of taking him to Christian court. What about taking them to a pastor and have the pastor adjudicate between the two of them? Uh, Anonymous, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I've answered that question exactly that way many, many times. Um, I I thought maybe he understood that, so please forgive me. Uh, but that's the very first thing that Christians ought to do. They ought to find a pastor. If they go to the same church, it ought to be easy um, and and they they bring that their, their grievances before um, their pastor and trust that he's going to give them a biblical response. So you're absolutely right. That is the first step. And if in fact um, there's two different pastors, uh, and we know a lot of pastors have different views on money and things like that, then uh, the, the the person who is who is afraid of being wronged needs to trust the Lord, and, and I just say, look, let's go to your pastor. I'll take it to my pastor. You get to choose, but we got to settle this. We can't. I don't want to take you to court. So yes, a, a pastor should do that, and we here at our church, we've done that um, quite a few times over the years, and it's the right thing to do. So thank you for pointing out that shortcoming. You are right, and I was incomplete in my answer. Okay, let's get. I think maybe we got one more question. Time for one more question. This one is from Neil. He says, "Do you have a practical definition for the joy of the Lord?" Uh, yeah, I do. It's just joy. Um, I, I don't know what what else you'd be looking for, but we all know what joy is. It doesn't mean happiness. It doesn't mean our circumstances are 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 wonderful. It just means that we have. Uh, a never-ending joy that says, God's got me, God's with me on this. And while I'm struggling or while I'm suffering, Jesus has his eye on me. I always think of the the disciples that he told to get in the boat and go to the other side of the the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and they were straining against the oars only halfway across, Uh, and Jesus was watching them every step of the way. He looked up and it said he saw them and that's when he went out to them walking on the water. And I think, Neil, that's what they were doing. They were learning what a practical definition for the joy of the Lord is. It's simply being with Jesus, knowing that he's sovereign, he's in control, and uh, if we will trust him, if we'll have faith, really believe, then even when our happiness goes, our joy will remain. So, Neil, I hope that answers the question for you. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I will, Lord willing, be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: We hope you've enjoyed The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron. You can find out more about Pastor Ron and all of the folks over at Calvary Chapel by logging on to CalvarySA.com. Once again, CalvarySA.com.